Welcome to the podcast. 欢迎收听 Yokoso Podcast. The podcast de Marco Shamad. Welcome to the podcast. 欢迎来到我们的播客 Benvenuti sul podcast. Come on, on podcast. 日本から Buongiorno dall'Italia. Hello, Hello, world culture enthusiasts. We're back in another episode of Crossing Cultures. A podcast where guests from all of all of all over the world talk about subtle, surprising, intriguing, and bizarre cultural differences in everyday life. My name is Asaf, and today I'm honored to be the odd man out because today we're talking about women in the workplace, and I have this amazing panel of strong, beautiful women from uh, Brazil, China, Taiwan, the United States, and Austria. Before we start, I want to ask you guys listening, if you're watching this on Facebook, And please head over to our page and give us a thumbs up. And if you're watching this on YouTube, then please consider subscribing maybe. And if you're watching this anywhere and you're enjoying the podcast, then please show your appreciation by uh, liking and sharing and telling a friend that might enjoy it. We appreciate that a lot and it helps. Let's start with you guys. You girls, you women, I don't know <laughs> how to start this. I usually say you guys, but today it sounds inappropriate. So let's just have you introduce yourselves. Sure. Um, I'm Sarah. So excited to be here. Um, I'm originally American um, and came to Israel, um, well, uh, for about four years ago um, after spending a long time in uh, Korea and Hong Kong. And now I spend my time uh, between Israel and New York City. Hi everyone, my name is Peggy. Um, I came to Israel back in 2010. So this year is my, actually my ninth year in Israel. Um, I'm from China, uh, northeastern part, very close to Russia, North Korea. So it's minus 13 a winter kind of place. What's um, the name of the city? Uh, Changchun. Changchun, okay. Yeah. So I studied abroad um, in London and worked a little bit in the United States. And now I'm uh, living in Israel as a resident. Hi, my name is Andrea. Um, originally, I come from Taiwan. Um, and three years ago, I moved to Israel because I really love Israeli mentality and entrepreneurship. So I started as an um, MBA student in Tel Aviv University. And then now I stay here for uh, my job in a high-tech company. And wait a minute, uh, Sarah, how would, you, what, how would you define the industry you work in? Is it tech? Is it uh, international relationships? What? Yeah. Um, I work in a tech startup, so yeah, we're technology and uh, social enterprise. Mm -hmm. So we're uh, technology with a mission. All right, and Peggy? Yeah, I work for the high-tech industry. Um, it's a high-tech company, but it's no longer at the startup stage. I would say it's a mature company. It's an operating business. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, so for my company, it's a high-tech company. Like, they started as a startup, but right now we have 500 More than 500 employees. All right, because we're going to talk about women in the workplace, so I just want to kind of set the boundaries of what kind of industries we're talking about. All right. Hi. Uh, my name is Caroline. I'm from Brazil. I did Aliyah four years ago. I'm Jewish. Um, I, I got married uh, three years and a half ago with an Israeli. Oren, he's uh, here also. Uh, I work in business consulting firms. I also always worked in business consulting firms also in Brazil, and uh, also I'm working uh, here in Israel. 
Uh, it's not a uh, high-tech, uh, but it's a start. Heavy industry or accounting? Uh, or? Uh, now I'm working on a project uh, in a factory. Okay. My turn? Yeah. Okay, um, I'm Tanya. I am originally from Austria, but Kanda is really in my heart. So the first time I came here four years ago was uh, Love at First Sight. Um, I'm not Jewish, although I kind of feel like it, I don't know why, but would m make my life easier. Um, back in Austria, I worked um, in the startup industry for uh, 10 years almost. Um, also, I um, did a lot of work experience in Singapore, Italy, Switzerland, London, and a bit of the US, and it was always startup related. So this was kind of my passion. I had my own startup back five years ago. And then I started to um, go into startup acceleration, so helping young entrepreneurs um, on their way. And this was also the linking point to Israel because here it's like totally different. So Europe is like so far behind, really. So don't judge me, but like it's, <laughs> it's like that. Like here the first time is like crazy, you know. Um, so this is why I was like here all the time to actually work better on that. And um, I started an organization that was um, helping female entrepreneurs um, as a nonprofit. So this is why it was kind of my passion to support women in the in the workplace when it comes to high tech and, and startups. And um, now I'm having my own company, which is also working for, uh, with women and supporting them. So you were in the previous episode where we talked about weddings. And then I, I asked Tanya if she knows anyone who can talk about women in the workplace. And of course, Tanya said, are you kidding? That's my thing. And of course, now you're here and we're happy for that. So we're talking about women in the workplace, which is a huge subject. We can talk about women in any type of field. But I mean, because of the makeup of this panel, I, I guess it's going to be kind of bound to the high tech entrepreneurship industry. OK, maybe business things like that. Um, so I want to start with a really broad question. Uh, in your culture, do you think there's still a stigma towards kind of strong business women? Or is that starting to loosen or open up? Or has it never been the case? Um, well, I'm coming, you know, I have the point of view of a startup culture. Um, which I know might be different, you know, depending on, on what which context you're in. But even um, a give even in, um, a few years ago, um, I um, participated in a program with the other startup founders, uh, bringing together entrepreneurs uh, in New York City, and I remember being um, the only woman in the room. Um, I'm sure this is something that. Uh, those of us around the table can relate to being the only person, the only woman in whichever team you happen to be on. Um, but I notice even um, you know in the past few years since that situation, a lot of that has changed, and there's more of um, um, more women in startup land, um, and um, and I think that the industry has seen a lot of benefits from that. Um, I think that also applies to the world of investing as well, where there's more, um, more women not just on our side of the table, meaning the startups, but also on the other side of the table. And as the single woman in the room, is there kind of a negative stereotype that you had to face, even now in, in that kind of industry? Um, so occasionally there is um, different expectations. Um, it's not always negative. Um, and... Um, uh, uh, I think that um, there is a lot more of an open mind than there used to be. Okay. 
Peggy, how, how does the Chinese culture see businesswoman? I've heard this story, I've, and I, 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 I don't know the name, and if I, I did, I'd probably, I'd probably butcher it, but I've heard that the most successful pirate in the world was a Chinese woman. Yeah, and she's not only a pi uh, is the, uh, the pilot, is she also drives the, the spaceship to, to the space, so. No, pilot? I, was, I meant pirate. Pirate? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> no, no, I mean, that, that's, no, that's no, a bonus. I'm from China, so when you're talking of pirate, uh, it really has double meaning. So uh, like, which kind of pirate? Well, well you know what? It's two for the price of one. But I've heard like the most successful pirate in, in, in the history, because if you think of pirates, you think of a man with a long beard. Um, is that beard. In, uh, Asian dynasty? I remember the folklores. I don't know the name. He was a real person. I, I don't remember the name. Yeah, I and remember. And she, she, like, she plundered the seven seas more than any man <laughs> has ever plundered, but she b rarely gets mentioned. I don't know why. So I want to ask, how, how is kind of the stereotype of a Chinese businesswoman, and has it changed throughout the years? Um, I think the situation in China, let's put aside the industry-related um, uh, stereotypes. I would say that because China has both of a cultural uh, root of um, uh, like men being the dominating gender, but also contradictorily have this uh, communistic slash socialistic uh, past, which men or women are both very um, motivated to engage actively in the workforce. So um, I wouldn't say that there is a very strong stereotype saying that there are um, jobs or leaderships that uh, women can't do. Um, in reality i think right now in china there are a lot of self-made uh, billionaires um, that are women even though the absolute percentage is still low uh, compared to the men but it's quite high on the global level compared to the rest of the countries i think the uh, socialistic slash communistic past definitely contributed to that um, there are many many strong women and uh, many people admire this kind of role model of strong women uh, very high-level executives mm. um, really um, steering the wheel of large corporate but I think likability of that person specifically and admiring that women are strong in power are different you mm. might admire a strong leader a female leader of a large corporate well for 50,000 people but you might not necessarily want to be her friend or to marry her. So and is it different with men? There. Hmm? Is it different with men? Do you think men kind of stereotypically, of course, can kind of hold both, like have both ways, like also be a tough business guy, but also be a nice guy, whereas women are kind of considered that they have to choose? Um, I think it's much easier for men. They mm. don't necessarily need to make the choice. And it's much hard for women, especially if you're, very motivated and engaged in your workforce. Um, if on your personal life you're not married and you're 50 um, or you're divorced or you don't really have that much time to take care of your kids, apparently there, there are these old stereotypes mm -hmm. from the society that, okay, you're not really a good mom and wife, but you're a very successful executive, but your life somehow is still incomplete. I see. All right, Andrea? Um, I think in Taiwan, when I try to recall my previous working experiences in Taiwanese high-tech company, I remember most of the department is run by female leader. So for example, like marketing director is a woman or supply chain department's leader is a woman, and they manage lots of guys. So I feel like, so I feel like um, it's very culturally accepting as long as you really drive performances 
because when it counts down uh, performances, people don't really care about whether you are man or guy, uh, mm. man or woman. Thank you. That's why I think. Okay, and talking about like stereotypically, is there kind of a stereo or is there a I stereotype? Think, I, no? I think right now there's no specific stereotype, but of course when you didn't really have proper business performance and you are single and you are like 45 and then you have bad temper, people might have extra negative attitude mm. towards you. It's kind of like bad, 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 super okay. bad. That's what I think. All right. Well, actually, one thing that I want to say is that uh, Brazil is such a big uh, country that uh, whatever I will say, it's just, uh, let's say, the, the um, uh, rich people, yeah. you know, like higher level levels of uh, the society. Uh, I used to live in Rio. And uh, almost all my life, I, 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 I worked in Rio or Sao Paulo also, which are the main uh, uh, cities in, in Rio, uh, in Brazil, sorry. Um, and there, I could see a lot of women in uh, leadership. I can remember several of my ex-manager, um, uh, uh, former uh, managers, that uh, they were ver very strong women. Um, and I, I had always uh, uh, someone to target and look mm -hmm. at this person and think I want to be like her. I want to have a career like her, hers. Uh, and um, I, I think talking about Rio and Sao Paulo, yes, we, we have this image, but outside these uh, two main uh, uh, <coughs> country, uh, the cities, uh, it's completely different. Mm. And uh, I, I cannot really talk about it. All right. And Tanya? I, I want to ask you something, because I think in when we think about, uh, I'm, I'm not confusing Germany and Austria, but I, I mean, okay. the, when I think of a strong woman, I'm the, the, the image that comes to mind is Merkel, yeah. Yeah, of course. Um, and I think Europe has been open for the past decades, for the past few decades, to very, very strong women in politics and in industry, women who run countries. And and I'm thinking, how how does that affect the kind of stereotype that maybe used to exist uh, about women in leading positions, not necessarily like strong independent women who, who work, but actually women who lead, lead countries, lead, uh, I don't know, industries, huge Fortune 500 companies. How does that, uh, how does that change? You know, from my perspective, um, a lot of things comes down to role models. So I think Angela Merkel also, we have a chancellor now that is a fe uh, female. Um, I think this will change a lot, like also in terms of in the future, how you perceive it. Um, however, I mean, also Austria is very patriarchy still. Um, so I get like my opinion, like older wi white guys, they still will say oh, a woman on top, you know, mm -hmm. whatever. They c she cannot do it anyways. And also how much, how many people actually said some uh, bad things about Merkel, even though she's a great leader yeah. in my opinion, right? But still, I mean, it's, it's guys, so they feel threatened. This mm -hmm. is the thing of patriarchy. And I think Austria is still a big thing in that but it gets better so when it comes to um, actually what's really interesting it's almost 50% uh, of leaders that are starting their own company in Austria are women so that's actually a big deal um, but it's not that they're the face of the companies mostly they're just running in the back and there's a guy you know mm -hmm. doing sales yeah. and, and stuff so a lot of family-owned businesses the woman is doing all the things in the back and it wouldn't work without her and the guys know but they would never you know say it 
Yeah, um, yeah. And in the startup scene, it's really bad there. So it's less than 10% mostly um, in uh, women founders. It's changing, I think. Well, in, my in the startup industry as opposed to the... To traditional. So the, the 50% okay. is like all over for mm -hmm. all industries, across everything. Of course, when it comes to large corporations, it's mostly still guys. Uh -huh. But like those starting the companies and leading like the small ones, it's still 50% uh, almost. That's huge. Okay. Let me ask you guys, wh what... I'll say guys because I, <laughs> I can't think fast enough. But, but uh, what kind of industries do you think that have been traditionally closed, or not closed, but kind of like harder for women to, to get into, are starting to open up? And have you seen, when you grew up, kind of maybe in schools or vocational schools, these kind of different paths between where boys are supposed to go and where... Uh, women are supposed to go and you know like or or like girls in, in high school they they like boys are uh, kind of pushed towards maybe like uh, computers and high tech and, and then girls are pushed towards I don't know uh, kindergarten care management or things like that have you ever f seen that do you think it's kind of a has it been a trend when you grew up do you think it's something that's changed where is it still relevant can I start yeah so uh, in Brazil, uh, it's a bit obvious, but uh, the boys usually they like to play football, <laughs> soccer. So this is the thing that I I, I saw when I was a kid. Uh, the the guys were always like football. This is, uh, and I still have friends that they are fathers today. They work and they have like a team that they go and play football <laughs> in the end of the day as a sport. And women. So it's very strong. Women, ballet. Ballet? Yeah. Really? Yeah. I didn't do it, but, uh, but yes. Yeah. I think ballet. now now um, the U.S. is leading the world uh, soccer uh, field. I forgot. I think her name is Megan Rapinoe. She's the captain of the U.S. Uh, football team, and now she's like become a big star because they won the World Cup or the World Women's Cup. But the, I'm, I'm going to continue the question. Have you seen or kind of these changes in what industries have opened up to women lately, even in terms of how they're advertised or things like that? I think police, maybe. Mm. Like, there are more female police officers. They are, you know, equipped with gun and willing to, like, go to some really dangerous scene to catch the criminal. I think back in the days, because I think policemen is quite, like, not only mentally consume job, but also like physically efforts required. So in the beginning, it was like only open to guys or many guys join that uh, profession. But right now, I think because the, the diversity of career choice, lots of girls, one day they want to become policemen, they will just follow that route. So back in Taiwan, I actually see more and more female policewomen. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's interesting. Police. Yeah. Any other thoughts? I think doctors for us. Really? Yeah. When I grew up, there was like you know it wasn't a thing. But um, the the women that are were actually raising with me, they were like more into that. So it was a field that is actually worth you know fighting for. Well, I I I will take like a side tour because what you said. I think, I think well for for men, there's certain fields where. They kind of enhance this sense of male camaraderie, you know. Like we're all policemen because we're in the, we, like, we have this bond because we're in the same squad. 
we have the same like firefighters or anything obviously military but also other industries even like trucking and things like that where you kind of men love to like uh center around like a kind of a, a task force or like a, a squad or something like that so do you think is there anything that youth can think of that's that's maybe that helps women enter these fields or kind of are women adapting to that kind of mentality or or the other way around is it changing the kind of mentality of the place I think the fact that um, remote work it has become so prevalent and mainstream and accepted that many of the like a lot of the flexibility that um, women in tra traditional roles of homemaking and motherhood and everything that goes along with that have Uh, generally uh, needed um, and sometimes been um, judged or stigmatized um, or limited because of that um, has allowed them or us to uh, continue to move forward within their career um, without having to you know sacrifice anything by virtue of being like at home mm -hmm. all right What about in the office or in the workplace itself? Like once a woman has overcome all the hurdles and now she's in a kind of a male-dominated society or within the office, are, are there any traditional roles that are still upheld? Like the stereotypical, the woman always brings the coffee or, you know, things like that. Is, have, you, have you ever noticed that even within the same unit, the same team, or even the, in the, uh, the C-suite, uh, mm -hmm. if there's one woman, then she'll... have to take on herself this kind of uh, maybe a motherly role or maybe like a traditionally feminine role? I think the main uh, traditional role for women in Brazil is HR. Mm. But I, like w we actually got into this topic because it was so interesting because women, in, like, in like in Austria at least, if we are in this position, if we have like equal important people, like C-level sitting on the same table, who is taking the notes? The woman. So mm. it is like that, like, yeah, sure, I can take care of it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, once you notice the behavior in yourself, it's like, wait. And oftentimes guys are pointing out, why are you taking notes? Yeah, actually, why, why me? So, you know, for us, it's like also, you know, bringing coffee or, the, or taking the, the things away. So it's the things of caring, what women are basically doing mostly. Mm -hmm. um, and guys need to point it out often. So actually we realize, hey, this is not why I should, you know, that's very interesting behavior. But it needs to start with us, you know. We need to change that. We need to be aware. All right. How about uh, corporate or industry sensitivity towards women issues like maternity leave or mother-friendly jobs? How is that in, I mean, in, I think in Israel there's a maternity leave for three months and then you can supplement that with another unpaid uh, three months, which usually most women uh, take. Um, I don't know the rules about um, whether you can, uh, if you take the other three months, if you come back, If you, you might not have a job. I, I, I don't even know uh, the answer to that. But do you know how are the maternity leave rules or kind of way, maybe it's not just the rules, but kind of a tradition from where you were from? Um, mm -hmm. I think at least the situation in China is uh, pretty sad. I would say that in general, East Asians have a, a very uh, harsh work ethics of working very long hours and be responsive uh, almost 24-7. especially for mobile internet industry in the past few years. Mm, there are many women in the mobile internet industry in China. A lot of them are um, typically high-tech companies, but maybe the positions vary. However, 
men, women both have to work very long hours. Uh, some of the executives even adv advocate for a 996 work schedule, meaning working from nine to nine, six days a week. So that kind of nature and uh, fierce competition at workplace naturally put both parents, men and women, in a very difficult situation. So if you have to sacrifice one person in the family, somebody has to actually go pick up the kid. Mm -hmm. If you both work for this large kind of corporate uh, environment, then somebody has to make a compromise. So usually it is the one after calculation um, that makes less salary uh, per month uh, it sounds like a very rational calculation, but usually it is the man who makes more. Mm -hmm. And uh, the women, the wives, the moms will probably have to force to make a rational decision as to take a back step from their, their very demanding job and to work in positions that are less demanding. So that means whether you're going to maternity leave or you are uh, a mom of one or two, that means that for sure there has to be a solution. So naturally, there is the, the environment that divides the men jobs and women jobs that you have to balance. So how, how difficult would it be to find like a mother-friendly job where you, you finish on time to go pick up the kids? It doesn't have to be a mother, but just like if you said traditionally, it's usually the woman. As a, in, a, in a culture that glorifies the 12-hour workdays, how, how prevalent is those kind of, are those kinds of jobs? Well, I think it's a very hard life decision. If you want to be very achieved in your workplace, then of course, men or women, you have to make the compromise to be more dedicated. Um, if you feel that in order to achieve a life-work balance, I would want to be more successful in my personal life, um, would want to spend more time on my kids, then I'm afraid that there isn't that a perfect balance between the life and work, unless you are working remotely um, nowadays, we see a lot of e-commerce. Um, many women are working from home, whether it's from the social media e-commerce channels, drop shipping, etc. So there are ways that you can go around it. But if you want to be successful in a very traditional corporate sense, it's still very hard to balance. Any thoughts? Uh, actually, I want to uh, make a contrast because actually Brazil is very, very patriarch. And uh, we have not only uh, four month uh, uh, maternity leave, uh, but um, a lot of uh, companies are, uh, I think this is a law that uh, the companies need to start now to have six month uh, maternity leave and you can uh, be without uh, uh, also um, earning any money for more six months, meaning you can be out for one year, one whole year. Uh, it's something very near new and um, can you imagine a, a person leaving her job for one year one whole year and does she have a job to come to come back yes, to? yes but uh, by law is it by law exactly so but uh, can you imagine I cannot imagine that's uh, well it's very very progressive yeah very progressive yeah so uh, and uh, the the, the one thing that people are, are discussing a lot in, in, in Brazil now is, uh, okay, so the mother has four to six months, uh, can go out uh, maybe for a whole year, and what the father receives is mm -hmm. five days. Uh -huh. So it's uh, unbalanced also, and uh, especially uh, in the case of uh, gay parents. So how, how would they 
take care of it. Uh, yeah. Uh, well, these the these rules are relatively new. I mean, all over the world, they're relatively new. Yeah. Women have only entered the workforce in the past maybe 100, 200 years, uh, traditionally at least. And uh, we're still kind of figuring out how to how to navigate work and life. And now people are saying, okay, we want to be very successful, but also we want to have, you know, family life. Um, let's talk about: is there a kind of a dress code, in, especially in like big or high tech industries, where you know women are expected to dress a certain way? Maybe sometimes, like I know that women. They tend to uh, dress in a bit more manly fashion to blend in, but then in other places, it's kind of not—I wouldn't even say frowned upon—but it's kind of looked kind of weird if a woman dresses like a, a man. I don't want to name any specific cultures that I personally don't represent, but you know, I know that some countries, women wear one thing, men wear another thing, and then other cultures where everybody kind of tries to wear the same thing so that there's no separation. What are your thoughts on that? I think I remember when in my previous companies, yes, the leader of some department, which are women, they tend to wear like pants. But I don't think that's that's the. I don't think they try to be manly, so they wear pants. It's more like their personality. I, I think when we talk about like is there any dress code or not, it's really come down to whether this leader feel a sense of security in the workplace. Because if you really believe in your ability, why you need to dress like a man to blend in the workplace? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Unless you are in a very traditional workplace and you are a sales, and if you wear dresses to face some clients which are really low and traditional, they might feel like, oh, you're so sexy, and you know, see you in a non-professional way. Mm -hmm. So you might feel like oh, I need to wear pants to make sure that I look professional. So otherwise, I feel like the dress code itself, it's kind of like the, the terms people created. Mm -hmm. I, mean, but I mean, what you said is I, I have to dress, I have to wear pants to seem more professional. You know, for, cer for certain cultures, I would think that it does, uh, that, 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 has, that does equate. So if you dress, we wear pants and a suit, that means you're a professional. But maybe for some cultures, it, it means you're kind of dressing up and you're not uh, uh, portraying the traditional role that you are quote-unquote supposed to uh, portray like oh you should be wearing uh, a, a female business suit or a skirt or a pants or this is these kinds of shoes not other kinds of shoes I don't know I think this also depends on which industry you're talking about um, you have industries that you need to wear uniforms mm -hmm. and you have industries that, that for example I, I, I work I work I still work for a business consulting. So in Brazil, I needed to be fancier than the client. I mm -hmm. need to wear fancier clothes to look a bit uh, more professional uh, or serious or with <laughs> doesn't matter. But uh, you need to look something that maybe you're not. <laughs> well, here's uh, I'll, I'll rephrase the question this way. When you when you have to pick a business suit or something that you wear for a business meeting. OK, let's say you have an important business meeting. Do you give any thought to should it be pants and like a, a, a heavy jacket or I actually want to wear a skirt with um, leggings and uh, nice shoes things like that. do you give any thought to that or is it whatever I feel like today no I always wear shorts black classic shorts mm -hmm. white topping black shorts to make sure that I look 
nice and professional at the same time. Okay, so you're saying I, I'm, I'm choosing the middle road. It's not, it, I don't want to wear like a three-piece suit and uh, that, but I also don't want to wear something that's completely different. Yeah, I try to not sacrifice mm -hmm. either one of the options. I think there is no, nothing more freeing in terms of revolution in the past few years than the release of the expectation that women should wear heels every day to work, regardless of what industry or work you're actually doing. Um, and I like it, that, that small thing, heels. that like small thing. Um, and you see now business, like, you know, professional business women and executives wearing comfortable shoes. And that's just like, Again, like a small thing that to me really like signifies like a change in mentality. Absolutely. I think that's huge. I think that's a huge, you can really kind of assess the, the patriarchy of a culture or of, a, of an office culture by seeing that kind of if women, I don't want to say are forced to because you can wear whatever you want, but there is a kind of a conception that heels make a woman look better or more professional or more classy. Whereas now there's kind of this notion that, no, you wear whatever you want. It's comfortable and, and professional. It looks better, sorry. It looks better in men's eyes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Which is, which is like kind of, I guess, that is the, yeah. the idea behind why women are kind of, they feel the, the need to wear that in a male-dominated industry. Never. In, in startup scene, it doesn't matter. You can go in sneakers and nobody can. Yeah, the startup scene is very different. Yeah, I mean, it's like the freedom of it. But the, and now that you saw it, like I went to an event here to a law firm, and like first time ever, I saw like you know all the women there super dressed up in those heels, and I'm like, fuck, I couldn't. <laughs> so if I want to, sure, that's great. But mm -hmm. like having that on every day, like this is so expensive. Like every day, so, so yeah, so it's very shoes. industry dependent. Yeah, you're definitely. Saying. All right. It's a tax too, because you have to spend so much money on yeah. on all of that and working in it environment that requires you to look a certain way so peer pressure if everyone else is wearing yeah exactly women then you want to do the same yeah. all right what about i know there's uh, a lot of discussion about questions that you might be asked in a job interview okay and i know that i think in the u.s it's 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 either illegal or kind of frowned upon to ask certain questions like, are you planning on getting pregnant in the next few years? What What is your relationship status? Or I don't know if you can elaborate on that. What is the, the, the status on that in the US? In general, I, I, I don't know all of the laws, although we are hiring now in the US. Um, but generally, yeah, staying away from any uh, of those kind of like personal, personal questions. Um, even something simple like, are you married? It's like, you know, borderline. Um, and that's also, it's kind of, it's a little bit um, counterintuitive or like ironic because in general, labor laws in the United States are um, much more uh, protective of the employer rather th than the employee. Mm -hmm. um, it means that uh, that anything that anything that can go wrong falls into the category of di potential discrimination. So um, there are kind of dangerous uh, dangerous kind of lines that are are sometimes not so clear, but on the other hand, are very dangerous if they're crossed. Um, and something that like I've noticed that I do um, think it's important kind of to point out is that sometimes when 
uh, regulations or even like cultural norms are in place ostensibly for the protection of women or another kind of like another minority group or vulnerable group or whatever, it, it can often backfire um, to the detriment of the person that or people that it's supposed to protect. Mm -hmm. So for example, like we were discussing before, maternity leave, you know, laws and think, you know, th and expectations and things like that. Um, I think that the trend toward, you know, paternity leave um, and even advocacy for things like um, the option of leave that has nothing to do with um, having a child, mm -hmm. meaning it's a kind of an equal ground, um, has the possibility of um, releasing some of the stereotypes that come along with having a child or requesting maternity mm -hmm. leave because it's equal then uh, to everyone. So there's no... Yeah none of that kind of additional stigma potentially attached. All right. I, I'm, I'm not a woman. I'm not going to even try and represent. But I know that in Israel there are certain questions that you're not supposed to ask when you're conducting a job interview. Nonetheless, I've heard on numerous accounts that people still ask them, either because they don't really know the rules or because, you know, you kind of get away with it if it's a, 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 it seems like a familiar enough environment. And if you want the job, you answer the question because you, 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 you'd rather answer, even if it's un inconvenient, and then get the job than, than risk not getting the job just because you are uh, not even, you don't even have to be offended by the question, but just because you don't think that question should be asked. So I'm asking, like, how are, the, are these kind of ideas, do they even exist, and how strictly are they upheld in, in your cultures? So in Austria, it's also forbidden to ask those questions. But I mean, I'm also an employer, and I do get it why, why you want to ask those questions. Because if this person is planning to get a kid in six months, I really want to know. And especially in the startup scene, this can destroy like the company. If you know you cannot you know fire them, mm -hmm. also you want to support, but you need to pay them, mm -hmm. even though they cannot work for you. So I think this is kind of a clash also in interest when it comes to employers, because you should be you know on the same page with the employee. Yeah. But uh, you, you don't need to answer in Austria if you're asked. And then you can sue them. Mm. All right. And because we love rules, we like nobody's asking those. Questions. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So uh, we're we're gonna transition into a less convenient uh, topic. We'll talk about how seriously are sexual harassment claims treated. Uh, I'm I'm guessing in the US they're usually treated very very severely, uh, but I'll, I'll let you answer. How how is that viewed? How is the atmosphere? You know regarding that issue. In general, in broad terms, of course. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think we're living in like a specifically a time period of like a post or ongoing like of a Me Too uh, environment where um, those kind of accusations or um, realities are taken very seriously. Um, and some, some would say too seriously where you're creating, unfortunately, like an atmosphere of, of fear as well. So I think there is um, definitely a balance that as time goes on, I think that- Do you sense this kind of sensitivity as uh, in, in an American workplace? That there's always people are very, yeah. very- Well, men are afraid. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I think that's unfortunate. Unfortunate um, Men that I've, um, had you know um, uh, contact in in business with ha have expressed that that 
that um, although their intentions can be very good, um, they're um, still um, can feel like they're in this kind of atmosphere of fear that they can't approach a woman. Um, there's also the flip side where like a lot of us know um, in, in our generation and also in our parents' generation where people met at work, you mm -hmm. know, and it's, it's you're, you're spending all of your time in the office, where a lot of us are, and it's that's a place where generally as an adult, like you might, uh, you can meet someone who can become your partner for life, but in an atmosphere where people are afraid to approach each other, um, there can be a lot of love that's lost right. and I see that as kind of we, we might talk about office relationships if yeah. we have time uh, okay. but I want to hear uh, from you guys um, kind of, does that also that, that movement that started in the US does that affect the working culture in Austria and in China and Taiwan and Brazil do you feel that kind of um, you know the sensitivity uh, some, some might even call it hypersensitivity or at least a change in the way it used to be or the other way around is it no, no there's, st there's still some things that shouldn't be tolerated but they, they still are because of the, the kind, of, kind of a cultural inertia mm, I think if a workplace let's say if there's some sexual harassment in a company and then the management didn't do anything to that guy assuming it's a guy then the girl, which is a victim, can have lots of ways to make it public by posting on Facebook, you know, like have some like news reference to make sure that her event can be known by mm -hmm. everyone else. You know? I mean, w when you look at like movies from the 50s and you see how people treated women in the, w in the office, calling them names, calling them by their body parts, you know, that, yeah. that, that kind of culture, I would hope, is is has been uh anyway it's long gone but uh, i'm assuming that it doesn't just uh stop overnight or, or if not even over half a century that there are still some kind of uh, a residue of that kind of culture very male dominated societies where even if it's kind of maybe on the border of sexual harassment by what what the law claims but still you see it very prevalent in the workplace. Have you ever noticed that? I or? mean, in the startup scene, it's such a bro culture, I think. Um, and this is also what we discussed in the last years, how we can actually, you know, um, do something against it. Um, but like the thing is, it's like, it's a very friendly atmosphere, right? Everyone is hanging out after work and it's very, just, you know, easygoing. So this is why the line is so thin or so grayish in, in general. And it's hard to, you know, find a wife. Mm -hmm. And also my business partner, for example, found his wife in one of the events. And I mean, you know, it's like, for them, it's like hard now because, as you said, uh, um, you know how to really get along yeah. with uh, all this Me Too. However, I think, especially in the startup scene, there needs to be protection, that kind of thing. Also, when it comes to investors, and you cannot go to HR to you know complain because usually you're just like four or five people. So if the boss is making all the time like you know you know comments about how nice you're dressed and how gorgeous you're looking, it can make you feel uncomfortable. And if you're depending on the job, you need someone to you know stand up mm. for you. So I think especially in that kind of culture, we need to you know, find roles, and it's still there. All right. I want to ask uh, one more question before we head on to the next part. But what about like gender-neutral language? Because you know, in Israel, in the Hebrew languages, and there's a feminine and a masculine for every verb and for every pronoun. So a lot of the times, people are very careful how you address. Like I call you guys because I don't know a better word, and I'm you know, backwards. <laughs> 
but uh, uh, but there are there is a lot of sensitivity sometimes towards what the kind of language you use and I know that in the US because I only speak uh, English and there's a little bit of German and uh, I'm just kidding. and uh, and I know that there's a lot of sensitivity towards saying instead of saying a policeman say a police person or an HR you know kind of that kind of language I know an interesting like the story is have you ever heard of a there's a, a book called the, the Awful German Language by Mark Twain. Have you heard of that? Well, we'll talk about that later. <laughs> well, about how in German yeah. language the, the, you only become a woman when you're a Fräulein and yeah. or a Frau. And then Fräulein is still kind of a, a neutral uh, pronoun. Um, have you ever said, is, what kind of changes, I don't know even if Chinese has. We don't. You don't we have we the don't. kind of. In Portuguese we, uh, we do have. And does it affect the working culture? Um, I think we are used to see like talking as if you're talking with a man. Mm. And that's not changing any. No. 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 And in Austria? <laughs> Same, as you know. But I think, uh, I don't know if you heard, but like in our national anthem, we are only singing for like guys. So we only mention guys. So there was a huge debate a couple of years ago that we should change to actually include women in there as well. Mm -hmm. And then everyone was like, we cannot change the national anthem. So it was. I don't know if it changed now, but it was huge um, because of that. All right. So, yeah, and it's a rule thing. You need to gender everything, basically, with us. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. That's, that's, a, that's like a, a, a one of my most favorite topics to talk about, <laughs> like how language affects uh, everything. But and now we're heading into our rapid-fire question. I'm going to ask everyone the same question. I want you to answer as fast as you can regarding something from your local culture. We're going to start with Sarah. All right. Local slang word for cool. Sarah. Excluding the word cool. I don't know any slang anymore, <laughs> so I have to pass. Lafong. Lafong? What does it literally mean? Uh, word by word translation is like pulling the wind. I oh. guess it's a way of saying cool. Okay. Kind of related. Interesting. Yeah, and what does that mean? <laughs> Is that even loud? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> actually means dick. Okay. But when you say like you are so dick, it actually literally when you, when you translate into Mandarin, it's like you are so cool. Ah, uh -huh. <laughs> well, that's a yeah. male-dominated language right there. What can I say? <laughs> uh, so as I said, I'm from Rio, so I can say how you can say cool in carioca, uh, maneiro. Maneiro. Which is cool. <laughs> All right, and um, I, I think I would only say it in English, so same like awesome. But like there's a German word, a Viennese word, which is oida. Oida. Yeah, there's a video you should link that um, because you can use oida for every situation. If you're oida. pissed, if you uh, think it's cool, then you just say oida. So. All right. <laughs> okay, and I want you to name one strong female uh, um, businesswoman, whatever politician, whatever you want from your local culture that you think of as a role model. Um, Peggy Johnson, she's number two at Microsoft, All right. head of business development. Lao Ganma, she is, uh, her, actually her real name is Tao Hua Bi. Um, she made herself a self-made billionaire woman at the age of 60 plus. And wow, with very underprivileged background, starting from um, a very small village, and then became the most well-sold uh, spicy sauce brand in China. Ooh, yes. all right. Cool. We'll have a link to all that. 
Yes. Uh, Tsai Ing-wen, which is the president of Taiwan, she just legalizes same-sex marriage. Ah, yeah, the first country in Asia to do so. Yes. Nice. <laughs> Uh, I would say uh, Maria Bastos. She was the CEO of um, a metallurgic company. Run, uh, basically, she ran a lot of men, so mm. very strong. All right. Um, Michaela Novakcheid. She's the CEO of um, HP, um, Hewlett Packard in Austria. Mm. And such a humble and great person and mother. And, you know, and she's coming from the same town like I do. So. All right. Okay. So uh, with that, we conclude our episode for today. And I want to thank you. You were amazing. You guys, you ladies, you women, <laughs> whatever you want. You were amazing. It was super interesting. Of course, we can talk about this forever. I want to thank everyone who was listening. And of course, you can find us on Facebook and on Twitter and on YouTube and on every spot, um, Spotify, every um, podcast app. And if you like the episode, then we ask you, please like, just put like a thumbs up and uh, maybe tell a friend, share it, subscribe if you like. And if you come from another country and you have something to say, then we really want to hear from you. So just type uh, in the comments wherever you're listening. If you have any questions or you have any comments, we'd love to hear that. And I hope to see you on the next episode. Mm -hmm.